Shut up, Excel. I love how I love how when you say what up to a youth group, it sounds like a bunch of ghosts. Like, Woo! it's like the worst kind of response you can have. But whatever. Um, hey, real quick, couple of announcements in case you came late. Uh, we want to make sure you guys are all aware that next week, say next week. Next week, we are opening registration for this year's Momentum Youth Convention, which we are so hyped about. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, here's my heart. I, I want to I have a, a problem this year because I think, like, I feel like I've already got everything down. Like, I booked all the hotel rooms already. We, we are at the hotel right across the street from the convention center, so we just got to skip right over. Uh, we got the bus situated already, buses taken care of. You know, not a school, but one of them big fancy buses with TVs and air conditioning and recliners. Like, all that is situated. But here's the deal. I want it to be where I got to figure out how to get a, a more transportation. I want to be on the phone scrambling saying, listen, I know we got like 20 rooms. I need more rooms. And they're like, we don't have no more rooms. I'm like, do you know who you're talking to? Do you have any idea who my father is? Like, I want to pull stuff like that so that I can get more rooms. Why? Because you guys started bringing so many people that we got to figure out how to do something. Because if all we do is do what we've always done, we'll never get to where we're trying to go. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm saying. Uh, the, the district has this thing where uh, anybody who's new, so if you invite a friend who is not a part of our church, and here's the rule. Don't invite a friend from somebody else's church. Like, we're talking about people who, who don't have a relationship with God, who aren't part of a church, who don't even maybe even believe in Jesus yet. But if they are interested in coming to Momentum... The district will let them go for free so they don't have to pay any registration. Uh, we're going to take that a step further, and we're going to say they can go 100% free. So we won't charge them for the hotel room or the bus or any of that stuff. Here's the deal. Uh, because we need to try to have this balanced out as much as possible, right now we're going to open it up to four slots per small group for a new person. Now, if you bring four friends in your small group, you get all four slots. You, you knocked it out. But what we want to do is limit it for right now to four new people per small group. And here's the reason why. If, if let's say all the stallions, because the stallions are always the ones that are on board with everything, they're hardcore. Let's say all the stallions, every one of them brings three friends. Now I got 150 junior hires, and I don't got enough leaders or rooms. I'm trying to figure out. So this is to try to balance that out a little bit. Now listen. If, if we got, you know, if your small group got four and there's a friend who really wants it, I'm not going to be like, oh, you already did your four. No, no, no. You know, we'll figure it out. We'll try to navigate it. Uh, we have to budget this as well. So, you know, we got to figure some of those things out. But here's what I believe. When you trust God, God delivers. And so I want you guys, and we're going to talk a little bit about this as we go into it, but I want to trust you guys to begin to pray about it. And maybe God's going to put one of your friends on your heart. Maybe God's already put a friend on your heart. Maybe your friend's here already, and you're like, that's you. You can go. Like, awesome. That's great. And let me just real quick tell you what this is. This is Excel, you know, on steroids. So it's like two, 3,000 teenagers. We're all worshiping together. We're all having an amazing time. Uh, they have an amazing band uh, a concert in Misfits. Those guys are off the chain. It's just insane what they do. Um, Micah Mack is a great evangelist. I I've gotten to hear him. I've spoken with him a couple of times. And then Maria Durso, she's a fan favorite. She's actually also going to be speaking at our church that Sunday. So you'll hear her Friday night, and then we can come back Sunday. She's going to be speaking to our church just for us. And so we're very excited to have Maria Durso with us. But here's the thing. Maria's going to be there, Michael Mack's going to be there, JRLLC Worship, all these cool people are going to be there. But I believe the best thing is that Jesus Christ is going to be there, 
and I want you to have a new encounter with him. I want your friends to have a new encounter with him, and I want us to build momentum from that day going forward. Amen? Amen? So here's what we need. Sign up. Those of you who, here's the deal. I hate, you ever, you ever had this, you ever had an invite on Facebook, and, and nobody says yes, but you know they're coming? And you're like, why don't you just click yes? And they're like, I'm going, though. I'm like, yeah, but click yes. But I'm going. Here's, I mean, let's just be real, right? Here's why people do that. They don't click yes on the Facebook because in case they don't want to go the day of, they don't feel bad because they never committed to you. If they put yes, then they know, man, now I got to go or I'm going to look bad. Guess what? You look bad either way if you don't show up, okay? But here's the deal. If you know, yeah, I'm going to go, then please for the love of Jesus, make Haley and the administrative team's lives a little bit easier and bring those forms in as soon as possible. Even if the money's not all the way there yet, we can start to figure some stuff out. We can try to help where we can, but we can't do anything if we don't have permission from your parents. And I will say this, if you go to your parents the day before, um, can I go? They're going to be like, you want me to give you how much money in a 24-hour notice? No, you're not going. They do that because they're mad that you did that to them. Where if you start saying that now, hey, listen, you got two months, you know, if I got to do some extra chores to maybe earn some money or, or you know, we got to, like, save a little bit. You know, maybe papi can, can slow down on going out to eat, you know, for the Lord. Like, whatever we got to do, let's figure this out. But I, I'm telling you, if we can take care of this, we're going to see God do amazing things. Amen? All right. That being said, I want to tell you a quick story I was thinking about. And uh, there was this one time where I was at. Uh, Steinmetz. Anybody here go to Steinmetz? Any Steinmetz folks here? There you go. I was at Steinmetz a few years ago. This was probably before you were there, Jay. And I was helping out with security, which really meant I hung out with the security guard and just talked and just was a presence, trying to get to know some kids and build some relationships. And uh, the security guard went to go do something and just left me in the hall standing by myself. So I'm just kind of chilling there. And then I see a familiar scene. I see this crowd of kids beginning to build in the middle of the hall. Now, y'all know what I know, right? If you, when you see a crowd of kids beginning to build up in the middle of the thing, I'm like, oh, hell no. There's a fight about to happen. And sure enough, within a second, this fight kicked off. And I went straight into, like, superhero mode. Like, I ran straight at that thing. And, and I, I'm telling you, I run in, and there's all these kids, a big old jumbo fight. I start grabbing one kid at a time and throwing them down the hall. And they were like dolls, man. I was just, like, flinging kids. And I had forgot that I don't have a security outfit on, right? So they don't know who I am. There's just this adult who's like in there throwing little kids. So I'm like flinging these kids. It turns out it was like 15 against one. So they're all like kicking them and stomping them. And I'm throwing kids. Finally, I get to the main kid. I grab him. I throw him up against the locker. His feet are dangling. I'm holding him by his shoulders, literally in the air. And then I realize, oh, crap, this is a child. And I'm an adult. This is so not okay to be doing right now. And he was so scared, too. He's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? I was like, what are you doing? Stop it. So then he goes off, right, and they're all going back to hit the other kid. So finally I push people away. I throw myself on top of the kid. And I'm like, please don't kick me. And nobody hit me, thank God. And then I look up. Everybody in the hallway is gone, plus the kid that was under me. And I'm by myself. And I'm like, what? I miss those days. Right? And then here's the funny part. We go around to everybody, including the kid that was getting stomped. And we start asking, hey, what happened? Who started it? What was going to involve? And wouldn't you know it, nobody saw nothing. 
Nobody. Nobody saw anything. Nobody knew anybody's name. Nobody knew it. Everybody's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. And it reminded me of this mentality that we have in Chicago, right, where this idea that we grow up with about, you know, snitches get stitches and, and we don't tell and, and you know, it's, you know we, we keep things to ourselves and we're not about that. And listen, if on the streets that's how people live, whatever. If that helps you from getting, you know, murdered by the mob, cool, whatever. That's, I guess, you know. But here's the deal. We take that mentality of being silent and we bring it into our Christian walk. And the things that God is calling us to not be silent about, we continue to be silent on. Today is the last word that we're going to be going through in our series of Christianese. We talked about devos. We talked about fellowship. We talked about a number of things. But tonight, I want to talk to you about a very specific word. And I want to talk to you about the word testimony. Telling someone else about your relationship or experience with God. Testimony. They say that the most common and greatest single fear in the world outside of death is public speaking. People are terrified of public speaking. And that goes into being terrified about talking about and saying the things that God has called you to say. Now, that word testimony, it derives its word from the idea of being in courts. Anybody here Law and Order fans or like you like those courtroom kind of shows? Like, I was big on that. Like I would binge them forever. And uh, they always had a witness that had to testify, right? That witness had to explain what he or she had seen and witnessed. And God is calling you and I to be witnesses, to testify about our experiences and encounters with the living God. Everyone in this room who claims to be a Christian has a testimony. Now, a lot of times we get this word confused, especially when you grow up in church, because we think that testimony means <clears throat> I was a drug addict and I was homeless on the streets and now I'm not. Or if you're like me who grew up in church, you struggle with this idea that I don't have a testimony because I never did anything quote unquote bad. I don't have anything crazy. So when so-and-so goes up and says like I was a cutter and you know I struggle with depression or when somebody says you know I was an addict or I was a gangbanger, you're sitting there like you know I got to be once and like you know, I don't always put my toys away. Like, you're sitting there like, man, I don't have a testimony like they do. But even that is a testimony. The fact that you don't have to go through some of the things that other people went through. So for me, I had to realize that my testimony is that I never had to live that life because Jesus was always a part of my life. That I never had to experience the other things. So there's a few basic testimonies, if I can just real quick tell you about them. You have a, a salvation testimony. The salvation testimony is basically who were you before you encountered Christ, how you encountered Christ, and who you are after that moment of salvation. So everybody who is saved, everybody who has Jesus Christ in their life has that testimony. Like I said, some of y'all may be crazier than somebody else's. For me, I was eight years old. I couldn't tell you the sermon. I couldn't tell you what they said. I couldn't tell you what I felt. It wasn't like this like huge conviction where I'm weeping. It was just a moment. I think at eight, I just kind of got it. I was rationally thinking. And I realized that there was something in my life that I needed. And his name was Jesus. And I said yes. And I went to the front and I accepted Jesus Christ. It's not a crazy testimony, right? But then there are other testimonies that come after that, right? There are testimonies of, of just 
things that God did, you know, providing, provisions that God has had in your life. Maybe there was a season where, man, you really needed something and, and God provided a way, right? Or, or like I told you guys that one time about how I was standing at a bus stop waiting to go to school and the Holy Spirit told me to move away from the bus stop pole. And so I moved away from the bus stop pole and two seconds later, a car spun out of control and hit the pole. And I was like, snap, right? That's a testimony. It's, it's a witness account to something, an encounter that I had with God or with an experience that I had with his presence. And so you have those kind of encounters. You have miracle testimonies, right? Maybe uh, you had an illness. I know Jonathan at one point had asthma and at, at Momentum. He prayed that God would heal him from his asthma and he never had an asthma situation since that day. That's a miracle of healing. I told you guys about the kid that I prayed with who had scoliosis and God healed his back from scoliosis. Those are miracle testimonies, right? That is a separate thing from salvation. And so there's all types of testimonies. Anything that God has done, anything that you have experienced, even if it didn't happen to you, even if, uh, like I said with that kid that got healed in his back, I told him this is great. But the ones who prayed for you, they can never walk away and say they didn't see God move. Everybody in that room was affected by that one kid's healing because everybody else saw it happen. So all of them now are witnesses to God's miracle. So we all have testimonies. Everybody in this room who has had an encounter with Jesus who considers himself a born-again Christian has a testimony. The question is, what are you doing with it? And are you testifying the way God called you to testify? I want to go through a story in the Bible in Acts. If you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 4. And it's the story of two men, Peter and John. In this story, Peter and John found themselves uh, near the synagogue, which is the, the kind of church of the Jewish people at the time. And there was a crippled beggar there who they healed. And everybody sees it, everybody realizes this healing. And so after they healed him, uh, in Jesus' name, they began to testify on how he got healed. They began to tell everyone there about the power of Jesus Christ and having a relationship with God and what it meant to be born again and be saved. So word got around and it got to the religious leaders of that area, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. These were the same men who crucified Jesus not too long before this. These were the same men who thought it was their responsibility to keep order in their church and to not allow these Jesus things to pop up. And so, you know, all this commotion comes out and they bring Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, which was basically their courtroom. They would grab all the leaders of their religious sect and they would be the judges and you would stand before the Sanhedrin and you would be standing trial for whatever crime they deemed you had committed. So in John chapter 4, verse 8 through 12, we see Peter, uh, he's standing before them and he's about to testify and defend himself over what had happened. But here's the deal. Rather than defend himself, he takes us as an opportunity to testify about who Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 12 right now. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. In other words, are you serious? You're bringing me in court because we healed somebody? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state all to all of you and tell all people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. 
the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. But Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So again, this is an opportunity for him to defend himself. Now, you got to understand, they brought him before the Sanhedrin because they're flexing on him. They're reminding them, hey, we killed your Jesus and we can kill you too. This isn't like they were going to spend the night in jail and what they already spent the night in jail. This wasn't like they're going to get a slap on the wrist and pay a fine. That he is standing trial and it may cost him his life. And rather than defending himself, rather than saying, hey, listen, uh, I know I messed up. I'm sorry, but, you know, we were trying to do a good thing and, and we didn't follow the rules exactly. But there was nothing bad that happened. Like this guy got healed. They didn't do any of that. He goes, you really want to know what happened? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm not here to defend myself. I'm here to testify about the goodness of God. And so he goes into this testimony of Jesus. And then it goes on to say in verse 13 that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. In other words, they're like, man, if we start something, if we do something, everyone's going to riot because it's obvious what they're testifying to happened. And there's nothing we could say, so they were stuck. I want to talk to you about the power of testimony. This is probably one of the most, if not the most, powerful weapon you have as a believer is your testimony. The Bible says in Revelation that at the very end, the, the thing that actually defeats our enemy, the very thing that tears down Satan says he was defeated by the blood of the Lamb, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, which is what we're testifying about, and the word of their testimony. The fact that Jesus Christ was born, lived, died, and resurrected for our sins and the fact that we tell about it. That is ultimately what takes Satan down. Not fancy speeches, not, not eloquent essays, not fighting and, and swords and weapons and guns. It's the fact that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Is who he says he is and we can tell about it. Now Jesus could have done it a number of different ways. But in his wisdom, he chose to use you as the authors of that change, as the ones who are called to testify. So I want to talk to you about that idea of testimony and what you need. And I'm going to kind of use some court illustrations for you to kind of get it. So if you're taking notes, the first thing you need to understand is this. You need boldness if you're going to take the stand. If you're going to take a stand as a witness, you need boldness. Now, the reason the U.S. government has witness protection is because if someone is going to testify about a mobster, about a bad guy, about somebody that they're possibly going to throw them in jail, there is a risk to their life in the many of those cases. And because of that risk, many potential witnesses are silent and refuse to testify because of the risk that it has to their well-being and their family. And so oftentimes what many of these organized crime uh, organizations do is they intimidate witnesses. They, they send 
little notices that say, hey, if you speak, we know where you live. We know where your family lives. And it's caused a lot of bad people to get away with a lot of bad things because people refuse to testify. However, there are also a number of people who had enough boldness to say, I will testify and I will stand before court and I will speak on this. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. In order to be a witness to Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to be somebody who is bold. And if I can be so bold as to say this, I think we have a generation of cowards. We have a generation that talks a lot of smack online, but is real quiet in person. Who's real tough behind a keyboard, but real soft in real life. And we need to flip that. Because anybody can write something. But can you share it to a person one-on-one? -on -one? And I'm not saying be combative. I'm not saying be angry. But can you be bold enough to share God's truth? Not your truth. We're not talking about relative truth. Like whatever's true for you is cool. Whatever's true for me is cool. No. Talking about the truth. Can you share who God is even if people won't like it? Even if they won't ask you to hang out with them anymore. Even if it costs you your reputation, your population, the people that you surround yourself with, are you still willing to say, hey, let me tell you about who God is in my life. And if we're honest, 99.9% .9 of the time why we don't share our testimony is because we're too afraid to do it. Like 99% of the time, that's the reason. I'm just too afraid to tell you about what God did. It might be because you're afraid that you're not living up to that life. It might be because you're afraid that they're going to hold you accountable to it. It might be because you're afraid that you don't know how to answer questions they might have. There might be a number of reasons, but the bottom line is it's your fear that keeps you silent. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging them, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, praying for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What is Paul saying? Guys, sometimes I'm scared. And I need you to pray for me. that The Holy Spirit will fill me with boldness to be able to speak. How? The way I ought to speak. Now you got to understand, again, the life of Paul. Paul was an evangelist. Paul was traveling from place to place preaching the gospel. Almost every single one of these places did not want to hear it. There's a, a portion of the Bible where it goes through a list of the things that Paul encountered while on those journeys. He was stoned multiple times. He was thrown off a roof. He was beaten with rods. The Bible says that multiple times he was whipped on his back. He was shipwrecked. He was left naked running from himself. There was all these encounters that Paul had. You would think, listen, I'll be honest with you. First whip, I'm reconsidering this. First hit, I'm like, man, it's not worth it. <laughs> if we can be transparent. You're not being whipped. You're not being thrown off a roof. Your life's not being threatened. You're just scared that people will think about you differently when maybe that's what God wanted them to do all along. Maybe that's the thing that will change their hearts, that they can start thinking that you're not like I am. That there is something different about you. And the fact that you are willing to tell me what's different helps me to become different as well. Guys, we need to learn to be bold. 
There are a lot of Christians in here that if I were to give you the microphone to pray, you say no. You can't even be bold among other Christians. How can we expect you to be bold at school? There's some of you in this room that you're scared if we say, hey, would you read this part of the scripture? Oh, I'm not going to read it. Why? Why are you afraid? If God's going to give you the power, if God's going to enable you, if God's going to equip you, and yet we struggle with this lack of, of boldness. Now, listen, you can be bold and nervous. There's never a time I'm not nervous. There's never a moment where I don't like, oh, I don't know, man, this is kind of scary. But boldness isn't the absence of fear. It just pushes past it. Boldness pushes you past those emotions of, of insecurity and fear and wonder and says, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Now, I'll tell you, there's too much boldness, I think, sometimes. Like when I was in high school, I started getting real bold. Like I started coming to Excel and I started getting really excited. And I was like looking for fights with people. I remember one time these two like atheist girls were like berating this one Christian. And I was like, yo, brother, you need some help? I got you, son. Fight with me. I'm a man. I'm 40. Let's go. Like I just wanted to go at it with them. And I destroyed them in the argument, but I lost them in winning them. I'm not saying be bold in that you need to be mean and berating and intimidating and embarrass people. I'm not saying be bold that you're going to fight people. I'm saying be bold enough to say what God has called you to say in the way he's called you to say it. Be bold enough that when you have an encounter with God, if God does something for you on Thursday night, that on Friday morning you're willing to tell somebody about it. You cannot share your testimony if you're not willing to be bold. But number two, one of the reasons why we fear and why we're not bold is because we don't think we know enough. Well, if you're taking notes, you need to understand that you don't need to be an expert. You're called to be a witness, not a lawyer. You're called to be the witness, not the lawyer. The lawyer is trained. The lawyer went through years of schooling and passed rigorous tests in order to be qualified to defend. You are just a witness, okay? Jesus Christ is our lawyer. He's our defense. He's the one that stands up and defends us against our accuser, but you are simply a witness. And too often, we think we're the lawyer. We think we got to have all the answers, and we got to be able to explain everything. And if we can't do that, then we're not going to open our mouths. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that this world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing in a world that considers that important. As a result, no one could ever boast in the presence of God. Listen, sometimes God chooses the fact that you don't know all those things on purpose. The fact that you're not an expert on purpose. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of times early on, I remember when I first told uh, my father that they were going to hire me as a pastor. His immediate response was, oh, I'm so proud of you, son. You did so great. He said, you can't be a pastor. You never went to seminary. And I'm like, well, neither did Peter. And he did okay. He was a fisherman. And, you know, I thought about this before. In Jewish culture, at around the age of 13, you either chose a profession or you chose to continue to learn in the synagogue and be on track to become a rabbi or a religious leader. And I thought about this. I think it's interesting that Jesus 
went the role of a profession. He became a carpenter. He didn't become a rabbi. Even though we could see in the Bible that even at the preteen age, he was schooling all the rabbis in the synagogue. He knew the scripture better than any of them. Why? Because he was the scripture. And yet he chose the humble path in order to shame the wise, in order to embarrass those who think they know everything. Listen, sometimes it's your simplicity. The Bible told us in Acts that they were amazed at these men. Why? Because they weren't professionals. It threw them off. They're looking at them like, these guys aren't trained to know all these things. How are they schooling us? You need to be willing to share what you know and stop worrying about what you don't know. A testimony is just what you experience. And here's the deal. No one can argue with you about your experience. Right? Here's what I hate. I talk about a restaurant that I like, and people are like, oh, that restaurant stinks. I'm like, oh, I like it. I could really care less what you think. Now, had I never tried it, I would be like, oh, really? I just heard about it. Is it not good? Oh, it's horrible. I'm like, oh, then I'm not going to go. But if I tried it and I love it, I really don't care what you think. <laughs> so if you're like, oh, that restaurant is so bougie. Tastes good to me. Oh, that chicken is always, well, that sandwich is better than your sandwich. <laughs> right? Can people can get all into these things. But here's the deal. With your testimony, it's the one thing people can't argue with you about because it's yours. You experienced it, right? So if you want an airplane and they're like, no, airplanes are like horribly dangerous. I, I, I just got off one. It was fine. No, airplanes, that's the worst invention ever. I guess. Sucks for you. You'll never go anywhere. But I flew on it. It was fine. Your experience isn't my experience. But I can testify about my experience. You got to understand, people can't argue what you have experienced because it's yours. But just because it's yours doesn't mean you can't share it. And just because you're an expert doesn't mean you don't have to know some things also. Because sometimes we'll take that scripture and we'll be like, see, God chose, you know, dumb people. So I don't have to learn. I don't have to read my Bible. God's just going to download it and use me. Yes, Peter was a fisherman. But Paul, Paul was trained by one of the greatest teachers of his era. Paul was incredibly gifted. Paul was supposed to be the next leader of all those religious people. Paul was somebody who was not just uh, uh, having Jewish heritage, but was also fully Roman citizenship, which gave him access to parts of the world that nobody can get access to. Paul was super qualified. So please be careful in thinking that just because you're ignorant, you can stay ignorant. You do have to know some things. So if you're taking notes, you need to know your word. Why? Because you got to be prepared for cross-examination. Okay, this is what you experienced. Well, how do you back it up? How do you know that was God? How do you know God operates that way? You have to take time to study and know a little bit about God, to know a little bit about his word. This is why we keep hammering over and over again to know your scriptures, to study God's word so that you can be prepared, so that you can have confidence, so that you can understand what it is that you need to say and when you need to say it. The Bible says that they were amazed that they weren't trained, but it wasn't that they weren't trained. It's how much they knew even though they weren't trained. He says that it's obvious that they know the scriptures. So you have to be able to know the scriptures. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. When I first got saved, you know what's one of the first things I did? and I still do, I started asking myself questions that I thought my friends would ask me if I started telling them about Jesus. 
And I started looking up answers in the Bible. How do I respond when they ask me this? How do I respond when they try to battle me on that? I want to be able to defend myself. When you look at a court show and the witness is there, it's the other lawyer that's trying to mess him up. It's the other lawyer that is trying to poke holes in their testimony so that the rest of the jury says that testimony is not worth it. So they try to say, well, well, how do you know this happened and where were you on this? And, and they try to poke all these holes in your testimony. And listen, not everybody's just going to hear your testimony and say yes to Jesus. They're going to be people that have some questions. Well, how do you know your God's the right God? How do you know that you can come to Jesus Christ? How do you know that Jesus really existed? How do you know that what you wrote in the Bible is true? Listen, there's a lot of things you're going to ask. And I'm not saying you have to know the answers to all of them. There's a lot of stuff that you go, you know, I, I don't know that. Here's what I know. And you can rely back on your testimony. But that doesn't give you a license to be ignorant in your whole life. Because the Bible is full of answers. The Bible is full of answers that you can have that only strengthens your testimony. That only empowers your witness. And if you don't take the time to learn it and you rely on your ignorance, it's not going to be long before people say, well, you know, it doesn't make sense. You can't just tell somebody, well, you know, because the Bible says so. Because they're going to look at you and go, I don't believe in the Bible. <laughs> I think the Bible's crap. So the fact that you say the Bible says so means nothing to me. Then where's your defense? Then what are you going to say? It's understanding the Bible that helps you use it. Not just pointing to it and saying, well, you go read it. We have to be willing and able to have an answer for anyone who comes up to us and asks us why you believe what you believe. Please stop being dumb Christians. Have a good answer. Have an educated response. Show people that you're, because here's the perception that the world has about Christians. You're just dumb, blind faith, and you don't have any answers for anything, and, and all that's just a bunch of hocus pocus and not real. But when you can communicate effectively, when you can point out that it takes more faith for them to believe there isn't a God than you to believe that there is, when you can show them that you have proper theology, that you really understand what you're talking about, that you're not just talking out your neck, People will respect your testimony. Listen, I'm going to defend sometimes, I'm going to defend some of the ladies in here. Because I'm going to train Josie like this. I wanted a boy, but Josie's my girl. And she will know sports in my house. And she will be sitting with me watching the Bears games. And here's the deal. She's going to understand how the game plays, and she's going to understand who the players are. Because what happens to a lot of ladies, I'm not saying this right, I'm just saying what happens. When you at me like, you, I love the Cubs. What does a guy always say to you? Name me 17 players from 1972. And you're like, man, I don't even know them like that, right? But that, guys always challenge you on that. I, I want Joseph to be like, here's my favorite player. Here's how he did it. Here's how many yards they ran, da, da, da. Why? Because I'm not stupid. I know the game. My papi taught me. Well, here's the deal. Your father has taught you what you need to know. So when people are like, man, you're not even a Christian. You don't know anything. They're like, no, I'm no, I know a lot. I'm not going to use it to beat you up. But I will use it to defend my testimony. To be able to say, I know what I'm talking about. You need to be willing to take time. That's why we keep pushing small groups. Because small groups is where we want you to be disciple, where we want you to grow, where we want you to bring some of those questions that you have, where we want you to sharpen each other, find accountability, and grow. But here's the deal. 
You can know a lot about the Bible. You can be willing to be bold and share your testimony. You can be willing to take that stand as God called you to do. And yes, you don't have to be an expert. But you know what you do have to do? You do have to guard your testimony. If you're taking notes, number four is this. People should recognize Jesus with your walk. People should recognize your walk with Jesus. They should be able to tell that you've been walking with Jesus. In other words, you need to be a reliable witness. Again, if you watch any kind of court show, one of the things they do when they find out <clears throat> who the defense has on their witness list is they try to sabotage their character. They try to destroy their character so that the jury thinks that their testimony is unreliable. So when it seems like they have this really nice person who's sharing about what they say, they're like, oh, well, yeah, so-and-so seems so nice. But did you know that in 1999 they were arrested for X, Y, Z? And did you realize that they've been doing this? Do you know that they are taking this deal because they were arrested for this other thing? They try to tear up the character of the witness in order for the jury to say, you know what, what they're saying is not reliable because they don't live up to the kind of person that we can trust. You have to live a life in such a way that it doesn't damage your testimony when you share it. In other words, if I'm trying to talk to you about the love of Jesus and how much Jesus cares for you and how Jesus can change your life, but then five minutes later, I'm in this circle cussing up a storm, making fun of somebody. How many know those two things seem different and it doesn't line up? If I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is the way and that he restored my life, but at the same time, you notice that I've been sleeping around with everybody in our group. It damages your testimony. When I'm trying to talk to you about the miracles that I've witnessed in Jesus, but you're sitting there going, the other friends are sitting there going, you're a Christian? Because it doesn't make sense the way you've been acting, talking, and treating people. You have to guard your character so that it strengthens your testimony. Because when you dress like a tatara, people are going to have a hard time believing you. When you act like a moron, people are going to have a hard time believing you. When you treat people with disrespect, they're not going to want to hear your testimony. People want reliable witnesses. And the court system, there's a lot of people, they're like, hey, we have a witness. And they're like, they're not reliable. There's no way I can put that person on the stand. No one's going to believe them. Some of us in this room have to work on our reliability. Because there's moments where God wants to use you, but it's like, you know what? I can't right now because their lifestyle does more damage than their words can do. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 through 20 says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Right? That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ is reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Gospel means good news. What's the good news? That Jesus Christ is reconciling, bringing back into relationship the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, you and me, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So now that's the message, that's the gospel, and God has trusted you with that message. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents a nation somewhere else. So the, the United States has ambassadors all over the world. People who speak on the United States' behalf to foreign countries. We are ambassadors of heaven. We speak on the kingdom of heaven. We represent the kingdom of heaven. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. How? Through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You represent Christ in what you do and what you say and how you act. <clears throat> you are an ambassador of Christ. I don't know why he chose us. He could have sent angels to do this work. But in his wisdom, he chose to use the redeemed, you and I, who have experienced that gospel for ourselves. And I think that's the best route because here's the deal. The best word of mouth is from people who've experienced it. How do you know? Honestly, look at Popeye's chicken sandwich. This sandwich had been out for a while, but nobody was going crazy for it. Why did people go crazy? Because suddenly on social media, everybody started talking about the sandwich. And Popeye's was smart. Popeye's went after the heavy hitter. Popeye's tried to go after the Lord's anointed and say that Chick-fil-A didn't know what they were talking about. Here's the deal. They thought, hey, if I can get to that kind of experience, why? Because everybody knows Chick-fil-A sandwich is good. So I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and challenge them. Suddenly, 40-minute lines in drive through to try to get Popeye's chicken. So many people trying to get their chicken. They ran out. How are you a chicken store and you run out of chicken? Right? Like, how are you a chicken? That's why all the Chick-fil-A people are like, mm-hmm, the Lord's anointed. They shall not fail. We will run and not grow weary. We will not lose heart. Why do they lose? Why? Because the word of mouth was so good. Now, trust me, if the chicken sandwich was garbage, people wouldn't have shown up. But there was a testimony from so many people online, so many celebrities. Everybody kept hyping it up to where you and I, listen, And how many of y'all tried the sandwich? Raise your hand. How many tried the sandwich because the hype online? <laughs> right? And so they blew up. Why? Because testimonies. Because testimony after testimony after testimony started saying this. Man, I don't know if I can say this out loud, but I think it's better than Chick-fil-A. And people were like, <gasps> better than Chick-fil-A? Man, I got to try this sandwich. Imagine what would happen if they're like, listen, yo, I don't know, I don't know if you know this, but the, the feeling I get when I'm in the presence of God, it's better than anything you've ever experienced. Well, what do you mean better, bro? It's better than sex. It's better than drugs. It's better than that feeling of being drunk. No, I mean, those are so, well, here's the deal. Because sometimes... Especially when it's not done in the context of what God says. Sex is followed up with shame and guilt. Drunk is followed up with hangovers. High is followed up with the need to get more high. But the presence of God only wants me to have more of the presence of God. Only calls me to stay in his presence. When I tell you that there is nothing like the blood of Jesus. There's nothing like an experience in the encounter that I've had with Jesus. You'll start to realize people going... Hey, tell me more. Why? Because I don't know Jesus, but I know you, and I trust you. And if you say that this has changed your life, maybe it can change my life. That is how testimonies work.
worship team, if you can help me out. If you go on with the story in Acts chapter 4, you start to notice this pattern with Peter and John. They talked about how bold they were. And remember, the Bible tells us they were full of the Holy Spirit and they were bold. Talked about how these guys were ordinary men, but they knew the scripture. And they said that they recognized that they walked with Jesus. People can tell they were Christ followers. If you go and read the rest of the story, verse 16 through 20, listen to what the Bible says. It says, what should we do with these men? They asked each other. This is the Sanhedrin, those religious leaders. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Pause right there. Here's the threat. They said, listen, there's nothing we can say about their testimony. It's obvious that it's true, and everybody already heard about it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to silence them. That's what the world is still doing. The kingdom of darkness says, listen, it's obvious that Jesus works. There are so many people who have had encounters with Jesus, who have had witnesses to his presence, who have been redeemed, who have experienced miracles, who have had encounters. It's, you can't deny what Jesus has done. So here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Instead of stopping Jesus from doing anything, because it's obvious that we can't, let's just stop them from saying anything about it. And it's working. Because you're quiet. Because you can't remember who the last person is that you shared the gospel with. That you sat down and said, let me tell you about my experience that I just had with the living God. Very few of you in this room can remember that. And that tells me that plan is working. But notice what Peter and John says. It says, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. What is he saying? You don't have the authority of my life that he has. You think God wants me to listen to that? You think God wants me to be quiet? Listen, this isn't a matter of desire. The words, <coughs> I cannot, means I am bound. I have to do this. There was a story I remember reading long ago. And it was a, a prisoner in a communist country who was caught having a house church. And what a house church is, is it sounds like it's a group of people that meet in a church. And particularly in communist countries, many of them or most of them don't allow organized religion. And so they had to meet in secret. And they found this secret church and they grabbed this pastor and they were torturing him and beating him. And they gave him a pen and paper and they asked him to write down the names of all the men and women who attended his house church. And the man looks at him and he says, I cannot do that. The chains won't let me. And the guards look at him confused because they said, there are no chains on your arm. We don't have you chained up. And he's looking at them like, you don't understand. I am bound by the chain of witnesses that have come before me. I am a link in that chain of witnesses, and I will not be the reason it breaks. 
each of you are a link dating back to these first disciples, these first witnesses of the gospel. The gospel has survived these thousands of years because men and women, even in the face of death, have refused to stop being a witness. You are the latest generation in a series of links to carry this honor of spreading the gospel. Don't you dare be the generation that breaks that. Don't you dare be the generation that looks at all the other ones behind you who literally gave their lives to share the gospel and say, but I was too nervous to do it. You are bound, obligated by the chain of witnesses that have come before you because one day we will all be sitting at the same table in heaven. And when we're swapping stories and you're hearing this 11-year-old girl who was crucified and murdered in Rome and eaten by a lion because she was a witness. And she's sitting there going, what did you do for the gospel? And you're like, uh, I started a Christian club. <laughs> well, I thought about starting a Christian club, but then I got nervous that nobody would come. And so I just, I did it. But I thought about it. Listen, I don't want to be salty at that table. I don't want to be sitting there wishing I would have done more. I want to be like, yo, I gave every drop of blood to do what God called me to do. I might not have died physically like you did, hopefully. But I gave my life in service to the gospel. Stand with me. Here's my challenge for you as we get ready to leave. I'm going to be praying over this next month. And one of the things I'm praying for is for people to come and know Jesus Christ as their Savior for the first time. I'm going to be praying that students will come in this room and there will be a moment for them to accept Jesus. And they will have that opportunity because you have been witnessing to them. Now listen, this is going to be your part because I'll preach Chairs will be set up, screens will be ready, band is on, on point. We're going to do our part. But I'm praying that over this next month, you have enough courage, enough boldness to share what you know, to take time to learn about the things you don't, and to be willing to talk to your friends. Now listen, the first one may say no. The second one may say no. And can I just tell you, when I mean be a witness, I don't mean go, uh, you want to go youth group with me? No. Okay. You want to go youth group? No. All right. You want? She said no. I tried, Pastor. Everybody said no. No, I'm talking about be a witness. Start by building a relationship. Start by telling them, man. Can I just tell you about what happened yesterday at church? Man, P. Joy, he's just ruthless. He just. I mean, I just, I just, I feel like I need to tell you about my story. Start with stuff like that. Start with this. Here's my favorite one. You want to know how to, how to get somebody to church the easiest way? Bring them. Hey, I want to invite you to church. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Hey, I'll pick you up. Well, I don't have a car. I'll send you an Uber. I don't have money for an Uber. I'll ask my leader to help me pick you up. My leader said no. I'll ask my mom and dad. They said no. I'll go to your house and get on the bus with you. I ain't got money for bus fare. Hey, spot me two bucks when I pick you up. I got you next week. Right? If you can learn to go over obstacles, and I found this in my life, people will say yes if you bring them, not if you invite them. So listen, take the time. Be prayerful. Start to consider, God, who are you bringing into my life to share my testimony with? Who, who's got a heartbeat? That's an easy one. 
and then have enough boldness to do it. The first one may say no. The third one might say no. The fifth one might say no. But what if the 12th one says yes? Maybe they were happy you didn't quit after three. So I don't know about you, but for me, I just keep trying until somebody says yes. Law of probability says at some point, someone's going to say yes. And if one person says yes and their entire life is transformed, that means their life, their spouse's life, their children's life, their grandchildren's life. It might have been one person in your eyes, but it's an entire generation in the eyes of God. It was an entire family tree in the eyes of the Lord. But whether it's one or a million, I am obligated to share the gospel. So I want to pray. I want to pray that God would give you enough boldness to do the thing that he called you to do. I'm not even going to call you out of your seat because every one of you in this room who considers himself a Christian, this prayer is for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, before I pray for you, I just want to check. Maybe there's someone in here, this is your first time, or, or you know, you've never really accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand so that we can pray with you. I'm going to have some of my leaders come by you, and they're going to walk you through that process. But before I pray for everybody else's witness, if you're in this room, and while I was speaking, there was a knocking on your door, there was something that kept hitting your heart saying, you need that relationship with God, then I don't want to close this without giving you that chance. So every head bow, every eye closed, no one looking around. Young man, young lady, if you're in this room and you say, listen, I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. I don't have a relationship with God, but I know this. I cannot walk out of here the same way I walked in. No one else is looking around. Would you just signal me by lifting up your hand real quick, and I want to pray for you. If there's anyone here who says, that's me. Anyone here? Awesome. You know what that means? Everybody here is called to be a witness. So let me pray for the rest of us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this room, God. Lord, I pray for a generation of boldness. Lord, we're so willing to post some of the randomest things online and yet so afraid to even talk about you. God, give us courage to speak when we need to speak, to say what we need to say in the way that we need to say it. God, I pray against our insecurities, this aspect that feels like we're not good enough. We know we're not good enough, but you are, God. You are good enough to share. You are good enough to help us. You are good enough to empower us. So, Father, we rely on your goodness, not our own. And, Lord, I ask, raise up a generation. Raise up young men and women who have a fire in them to be witnesses for who you've called. God, there are some students in this room who feel called to leadership. Help them to not wait until they graduate, God, to put it where they're, where they're at right now, to begin to move. Lord, there are some that are called to the mission field. Help them to understand that their mission field is right here, right now in their classroom. Lord, there are some that are going to be starting school next year and are more concerned about their reputation than yours. Help us to put our priorities right, God. Father, give us boldness so that in this rest of this year, God, as we enter into this new school year, you begin to fill these seats with people who know you for the first time. Will you begin to help us to disciple people, God? You begin to help us to have to put out more chairs because more kids are coming and we got to figure out a way to contain everything because you're at work in the lives of our loved ones. So, Father, I pray for every person in this room that not one of us would be a sideline Christian. Not one of us would be a spectator. Not one of us would be someone that just shows up and gets fed, but that we would come receive what you have for us and put it out into practice. God, we thank you 
We thank you for everyone who's here who's had an experience with you. But, Lord, we pray for those who haven't. And we pray in advance for the day that they will, God, because on that day you will receive all the honor and all the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Remember, we got small groups tomorrow. Don't forget to be inviting your friends. We'll see you tomorrow.